When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome back to the final Buckeye Talk of 2021. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. These will be our Rose Bowl picks. And if you guys stick around for the end, I did a little uh, self-absorbed exercise, which is what this entire podcast is, uh, that I will share with you guys at the end. It's exactly how many episodes of Buckeye Talk we did this year, how many minutes of Buckeye Talk we did this year. And it made me sad. <laughs> because it's like I think if I did the math right, 29% of my existence in 2021 was spent on this podcast, which is great, but also is like, eh, maybe it's a little bit too much. So anyway, we'll run through that at the end, but mostly we want to talk about the Rose Bowl. But what we want to talk about first at the Rose Bowl is, Nathan, you were at the coaches' news conference with Ryan Day and Kyle Whittingham in California Friday morning. What'd you learn? What do the folks need to know? Well, I think primarily we wanted to get an update just on what the status of the roster is. We were at practice earlier this week. We saw four guys who would potentially be starting, uh, seven banks, although he was hurt late in the season, wasn't starting. Uh, Antoine Jackson, Marcus Williamson, Cody Simon, all guys who would obviously be potentially big help against uh, trying to defend Utah and wanted to find out what their status is. Day said that he's not getting specific. We'll have to wait for the status report. He says some portion <laughs> of that group is still considered a game time decision. So it could just be one guy from that group is a game time decision. The other three aren't going to play. He wasn't going to be any more specific than that. But it's it's obvious that in addition to Haskell Garrett opting out, Ohio State will be missing, you know, I mean, what, like a quarter or more of its what would be its starting lineup for this game on defense. Okay. Any other vibe stuff at all from Kyle? I mean, sometimes I will say again, we like to give the people what sort of what it's like to cover this team. The pre the day before a coach's news conference is often like they're there to pose in their sports coats with the trophy and awkwardly look at each other mm -hmm. while everybody takes a photo. And then by that point, it's like, what is left to ask? And so sometimes you don't get a lot out of it other than the news of things like injuries. Anything else worth talking about? You know, uh, on the lines of some of those questions where you're kind of reaching for something that's on the fringe, uh, Joey Kaufman asked, hey, I mean, Chris Olave is still at practice. Legally, he could play in this game. Any chance he'll play in this game? And Ryan Day was like, ah, you know, that'd be a lot of fun, but I don't think that's going to happen. Although it's technically on, on the board of something that could happen if Chris Olave just decides he wakes up tomorrow and he's like, you know what? No, forget millions of dollars. I'm, I'm playing in this game. I guess he could play in this game. And I asked something that we talked about on this podcast, which was, hey, you mean you got Jim Knowles' phone number now. 
Um, you're going to be paying him a lot of money soon. Did you like ring him up and say like, hey, what do you think about this three tight end stuff that Utah does? How are we supposed to match up with that? And Ryan Day, I thought, gave a good answer to that, which I don't think is a cop out saying that, you know, Jim Knowles doesn't know Ohio State's personnel intimately the way that the coaching staff does. Like he doesn't know the tendencies of guys. He doesn't know why they put certain guys in certain spots yet. So you could you could do that. I suppose you could show give him some film and he could give you some thoughts. But then you'd have to say, well, no, like this is why we've been doing this is why this guy's been playing that spot, because the other guy can't do what you think he might should be able to do. It would just be kind of confusing. And they're going to wait and get started with him on, on January 2nd. But he did also say something I thought was a little bit interesting, something along the lines of, you know, we're still looking at which guys are going to be with how, how they're going to figure out the coaching staff stuff. Um, so I thought that was a little bit interesting that he sort of, because I thought when the last time we left it, that I thought that communication had sort of been made. So maybe it has, and that's just the way he's answering it today. I don't know, but, uh, that's, that's something to, to figure out. I don't know that we're going to hear anything as of Sunday as to what happens with, um, the coaching staff, it might not be that quick. I would expect it to be okay. pretty quick after that, though. Okay. So we'll, we're will we going to obviously do a post-game Buckeye talk on Saturday after the game. And then we'll talk about it then. I think then we might chill out a little bit, like, until something happens. But but as you're saying, like, something might happen pretty quick that we are begin to know the shape of this coaching staff. Okay. We're going to make our picks. Our terrible, terrible, terrible picks. We're going to... Um, make our picks, you know, for the over-under and all that kind of stuff. But I do have some questions still I want to run through. And I do want to do this really quickly because, again, sometimes I forget what I'm doing on a podcast. You guys gave your picks for the semifinal games on the last podcast, but I forgot to include there what the texters were thinking about that. So I want to get this out there to get, get the texter picks on the record. I asked the texters a couple questions about those two games. First was, what is your view of the Alabama-Cincinnati semifinal? The choices were, Alabama will definitely win. Or, Alabama will probably win, but Cincinnati at least has a shot. Then there's, I'll pick Alabama, but Cincinnati has a very real chance to win. Or, Cincinnati will win. So... There's like the, you know, no duh, it's going to be Bama, and then three various levels of Cincinnati belief. I will tell you that Alabama will definitely win was not the first choice. 45% went with Alabama will probably win, but Cincinnati has a shot, which I actually think is probably the most realistic answer. I also think the I'll pick Alabama, but Cincinnati really has a chance to win which to me would be like, I'm definitely taking the points, and I think it could go either way. That got 18%. That's a pretty strong, you know, pretty strong answer. 33% went with Alabama will definitely win. 4% went with Cincinnati. So I just thought at least at least two-thirds of the people are giving Cincinnati a shot in that game. Then there's the view of the Georgia-Michigan semifinal. The choices I gave there were Georgia will definitely win. Georgia will win, but Michigan has a real chance. Michigan will win, but Georgia has a real chance. Or Michigan will definitely win. So. 20% definitely win Georgia, 1% definitely win Michigan. So that's at least, again, that's 79% of the people thinking, you know, it's close. 67% of the vote, though, was Georgia will win, but Michigan has a chance. 
Only 12% was Michigan will win, but Georgia has a chance. So in the end, 87% of the people picked Georgia, 13% picked Michigan. And in the end, 96% of the people picked Alabama, 4% picked Cincinnati. I wanted to make sure we got those on the record because I forgot to do it yesterday. I do have some questions that I want to get to about the Rose Bowl, though, because this is a Rose Bowl preview picks podcast. Stephen, we'll start with you here. From the 513, how much lower is the Ohio State offensive points ceiling without Nicholas Petit, Freya, Chris Olave, and Garrett Wilson? This is the thing that even when we did our, like early, I think, Utah – Ohio State preview, it was like, well, it's the thing we always say. Could it just be the answer is Ohio State's offense? Blank, boom, that's the only answer. How much do we pull back from that without three big-time starters, Stephen? And do we, in a world where a lot of times on our picks pods, we're thinking 50, 50, 48, 52, 46, do we have to pull back from that? Yeah, it's it's the offense isn't a cheat code right now, and you almost have to – Prepare yourself to be wrong. Um, pleasantly surprised a little bit. It's, it's it's easier to say, oh, they might only score 30 points. And then they score 45 points. It's like, okay, cool. These wide receivers are going to be awesome next year, just like they were this year. The offense will be fine. Let's focus on the defense all offseason. But until you see it for a quarter, it's easier. Because, I mean, that's a lot of points, man. Chris Olave, 13 touchdowns. Garrett Wilson, 12 touchdowns this year. That's, I mean, as great as Jackson Smith, the Jigba was this year, he wasn't the guy getting in the end zone of the three of them. He only has six touchdowns. And so you're losing pretty much all of your point production, especially through the passing attack. I, I think they'll be fine without Nicholas Petit Fair because Darren Munford is a three year starter there and Matthew Jones has been good. So it's, you're, you're okay there. It's, if, if you're missing one person, you're okay there, but missing, you know, 25 touchdowns and your passing attack and an offense that wants to throw the ball around, that's a lot to have to make up for. And you can't just blindly go, oh, it's going to be the exact same when the guys behind them haven't done much. I do think it will be some percent less explosive. But Nathan, part of the thing that I tried to factor in my prediction is I think it may affect him in the red zone a little bit more. Not that I don't know. I'm just going to say not. I mean, Wilson and Olave are dangerous wherever they are on the field. So when you get inside the 20, you really sell out on Travion, I think, and then you just double Jackson Smith and Jigba and see what happens. And I do think I have some extra field goals. And they've had some red zone issues all year. But I have some extra field goals in my pick that I would attribute to three big-time starters being out on offense. Yeah, you're you're giving away a lot of the substance of my eventual game-time decisions video that we're going to record. But I think, I think the red zone is going to be huge. And I think in particular – um, running the ball is going to be huge. I think Ohio State, in in those games where they struggled the most, the key games where they struggled the most in the red zone, they were also struggling to run the ball. I, I think there's a correlation there. So I think they've got to find a way to run the ball uh, consistently against Utah and then work off of that. So we did this some on the podcast yesterday, but I want to do a little bit of it more about sort of like Rose Bowl feelings. And just where people are on this from the 937 with Ohio State not being in the playoff for the first time since 2018 and really having its playoff state field before Selection Sunday for the first time since 2015. I'm wondering how I should feel about the Rose Bowl. I know Urban and Kirk Herbstreet will get all sentimental and make it seem like a Big Ten fan should be excited about the Buckeyes playing in the Rose Bowl, the granddaddy of them all. Yet I find myself completely disinterested. Like I will watch because I only get to watch my favorite team 13 to 15 times a year, but I don't care about Utah's run game or the Buckeyes opting out. So my question is, should I care? What does a Rose Bowl win mean? Oklahoma destroyed Florida, and because of that, got preseason love this year, and, and then were awful. What do non-playoff games mean? 
anymore. Uh, let me ask another question along those lines from the 425. I'm trying so hard to get hype for the Rose Bowl. I really am. It's been difficult. I'm an old school guy with fond memories of rooting for an Ohio State Rose Bowl berth. Finally seeing it happen firsthand for the first time my sophomore year at OSU in 97 was great, but still a bit hollow because we lost the game that year and with excuse me, and with it a chance at a title. How much do you think the lackluster interest in this Rose Bowl has to do with the same factor? If OSU had beaten Michigan this year and is still in the Rose Bowl, are we still this disappointed? And so can the Rose Bowl ever be a worthy goal again in the era of playoff or bust? So I did ask this question. I asked, uh, again, with our texters, I have figured out the thing where you can do a rating system, one through 10. Rank your level of interest in the Rose Bowl on a scale of one to 10. One is not interested at all. 10 is very interested. 7.67 was the average rating. And of the people who answered, the most popular answer, getting a quarter of the answers, was 10. Was all the way at 10. And the number of people who were five or lower is like 12%, 15%, Nathan. I do think it's one of these things. I think this comes up in politics a lot. It's like, you think you're, th- you think, well, I think this, but I think my neighbor thinks this. And a lot of times you sort of think worse of your neighbor than you think of yourself. So I understand there are people who they themselves are not that interested. But I do think there may be a thing like, well, I don't think anybody's interested. And actually, you know what? There's still like a decent number of people that are interested. You know, 7.6 on a, or 7.7 on a scale of interest is still pretty good. And there's a gazillion more tens than there are ones here. So I think it's a worthwhile discussion point. But I think in the end, you know what? It's the Rose Bowl. It's Ohio State. People still care pretty much. Well, but it's it's kind of a broad question too, though, right? If like how much are you interested in the Rose Bowl isn't necessarily how emotionally connected are you to whether Ohio State wins the Rose Bowl or not. It's how much are you paying attention this week to things like who is opting out, things like um, who is going to be able to play, the young guys who are going to be stepping up. Like I think all of those things, you know, how does this team look? How does it respond kind of um, in intangible ways to the Michigan loss and and the physical challenge and all these sorts of things? I think all of those things are wrapped up in how interested people might be right now. So it's it's a broad range of reasons you might be still kind of checked in for this game. And I think that's OK, too. I think there it's fine that there are fans who are like, you know what, like I, I, I want Ohio State to win every game it plays. And it's a big stage and it means something. And then on the other side, um, you know, um, if you're someone who is like, uh, I want Ohio State only to do things in practice and in this game that makes them better for 2022, regardless of the outcome, I think that's okay too. I think both of those are valid interests. All right, let's talk about, we are going to talk about, There, you make a good point. There's a difference between being interested in the game and how wrapped up you are in whether they win or lose. Those are two very different things. And so I, I, I'm interested in how wrapped up people are in whether they win or lose and what we think of that. But let's let's take a little frontage road off of that, Stephen. One of the things that clearly is that, I mean, when you talk about why are you excited, it's to see young guys, right? And we've talked we talked about that on the podcast yesterday. I want to get a little more specific, and we'll ask this from the 937. Which of the new guys are you most excited to watch? For me, it's Marvin Harrison Jr. From that texter, Stephen, pick one guy, a young guy that you're most excited to get your eyeballs on on January 1st. Yeah, I've said Julian Fleming's name a lot um, in pods over the last couple of weeks here, so I'll, I'll go with somebody else. I, I, I do – Emeka Ibuka is very interesting to me because if you're – if if 
to kind of put people in like a a hat, I guess, if there's Jackson Smith, the Jigba, there's Garrett Wilson, and there's Chris Olave. Those are three very different receivers. And when they, and they mesh together very well because they do three totally different things that help this offense out. So who's who now in this situation? Jackson's still going to be Jackson, but is, is Emeka Abuka Garrett now? Is he like the ex receiver who, just find a way to get the ball in his hands, whether you're throwing it to him deep or throwing it to him short or intermediate or handing it off. And he can just be a go-go gadget, do everything in the world. Is he more of a, just a, a deep threat? You know, what, I'm very interested to see how he ends up getting used in his career here. Is he on the same, you know, a plan is, is he on the Garrett Wilson plan where he starts off in the slot in year two, but then goes back outside the way that maybe Jackson Smith, the Jigba might do. I'm very interested to see how they use him. And since he's going to get a lot of extended snaps in this game, we get kind of a preview of that and not just like garbage minutes, but actual meaningful snaps to seeing how they're going to use that guy. Nathan, who's your, your young guy that you're most interested to see. I think I have to look defense here. And as I was kind of putting together the depth chart for this game, you know, with, with seven banks, apparently obviously not going to be available for this game. Is this the week where you start to see uh, Jordan Hancock? Uh, I don't know if Jaquelin Johnson is healthy enough, but would Jordan Hancock be in position to step up and play a bigger role? Um, and I was even trying to figure out like, who am I supposed to put as the second cover safety on this team right now behind Lathan Ransom if Marcus Williamson doesn't play is it Andre Turrentine like who who steps up there and do they get some kind of snaps in, in this game so I think that's still the area of this team that needs the most drastic repair I guess going into 2022 in my eyes I know they're losing big important people on the offensive side of the ball but I feel like there's maybe rightly or wrongly maybe more confidence in the next level of those guys being ready to be pretty productive players right away. And I feel like there's still more question marks on defense. And I'd like to see if some of those guys in the secondary, whether it's maybe another appearance from Cam Martinez, something like, can those guys get on the field and flash in a way that you start thinking ahead? Like, okay, I have a better idea what that guy does for Ohio state in 2022 and how he helps them. Yeah. It's interesting if they really, if they would really put a couple guys out there who almost haven't played at all and like let them rip a little bit that it's like, yeah, we're trying to win, but listen, man, like we, you know, we're not punting on the game, but let's get somebody a little run and see what's up. I'm going to, I'll go obvious. I'll go court Williams, which is a guy that we've, we've talked a lot about a lot already this week. We think we'll have a much bigger role. And for instance, from the five, six, one if court plays like an MVP. Does that bode well for 2022? I think it does. And I think he will both, uh, play well in the Rose Bowl and in 2022. So I think a lot of people are on that Court Williams bandwagon. He would be at the top of the list of uh, of a young guy that I, I think we will see more of and I think really matters from that. Steven, you gave an offensive player. I will ask this question from the 614. Who will be the new breakout player on offense? So, I mean, that's uh, it's similar to a young guy Question, Nathan, you and I both went defense on that question. I will say a guy that I've been thinking about, and this might be totally imaginary, but in the in the name of like letting it rip a little bit with some guys, it's like, could we see Evan Pryor get the ball a few times? Like I would be super interested in that. That again, it's nothing against Master Teague and Mayan Williams, but if you think Evan Pryor is gonna be a part of the run game in 2022, could you let him do a little something in this game? I don't know. That might be imaginary, but I'm trying to think of guys like that. They're obviously, I mean, the, the young receivers are obviously there, but Nathan, is there somebody you'd want to throw out for this? Well, I mean, my outrageous prediction was 115 yards and two touchdowns from Marvin Harrison Jr. So I guess I could I could just repeat that. 
Yeah, no, that's fair. I think, I mean, the, these receivers, man, we just, we want to see what these receivers are going to do. All right, here's a question sort of again about the the vibe around the game from the 419. Is this game more likely to be a strong display of next man up or a depleted team with not much to play for? So those are two stark contrasts. Yeah. Like, hey, we have so much talent. We have a bunch of guys opting out. Their first round talents for the draft. But boom, we slide them right in, next man up. Or it's like, ah, it almost feels like, you know, not that they don't want to be there, but they just don't have their usual juice. Nathan, if you had to pick one of those, which way would you go? Ugh. I, it's definitely going to be a compromised team. This isn't the team Ohio State's put out there all year. So, I, I mean, the real answer is, like, it's a depleted team that probably has something to play for. And those individuals certainly have something to play for. I think there is something, a tangible benefit to some of those guys practicing well for these, this month and then playing well against Utah. So I guess that's really more the first one, right? Next man up. I guess I pick next man up. Steven. It's next man up because even with the opt outs and, you know, some guys being game time decisions, most of the guys who are playing are either in a category of they need another positive day of film because they're trying to up their draft stock or their young guys trying to like set a tone for how their career is going to go here, which is, I mean, in a game like this where you're not really playing for anything, that's a good combination of things to have, especially when you're coming off getting smacked in the mouth a month ago. I do think what I remember, I think like the, the Rose bowl three years ago, like Jeff Okuda was a second year player in that game who'd had a good year and had kind of been coming on late in the year and then had like a really good Rose bowl. And then it was like, oh, man, okay, here we go. And I do think there's some of that. Like, what if Denzel Burke is just like, oh, Denzel Burke's really good. Denzel Burke looked like an All-American today, right? I mean, like like something like that or, um, you know, oh, Tyleek Williams. I mean, we know he's had a good year. He's been like a freshman All-American. But, oh, is he Cam Hayward, right? I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I think there could be some stuff like that with some of the guys who are not new but make a – jump from like very good to holy moly. I think you can make a holy moly jump in a bowl game. I also think it's possible that they look depleted at moments and at positions. And then like CJ just drops a 40 yard pass in the bucket. And it's like, well, they look depleted for two plays. And then CJ just did that. And then it's like, oh, they look kind of depleted there for a little bit. And then Denzel Burke, you know, made a great play to knock away what would have been a sure first down that, that sometimes they don't have to look great and juiced every snap to have a chance to win, right? Because they still have some individual dudes all over the field who do have a lot to play for. And Denzel Burke and Tyleek Williams and Court Williams and Matthew Jones and Paris Johnson and Trevion Henderson and Marvin Harrison Jr. and Jackson Smith and Jigba. What if Jackson Smith and Jigba truly looks like Oh, you know who the best receiver in the country is going to be next, next year? Jackson Smith and Jigba. Because he just went out and dropped 250 in Pasadena. Like, not that he hasn't already done that, but there still might be some people who don't exactly know what's up with that guy. So I think there are some opportunities there. So my but I also think there will be times like, oh, that looked like a that was kind of a dragon kind of drive. Not like a dragon, like oh, not like a fire breathing dragon, like dragging. Like they kind of looked like, wow, Utah just marched down the field on them and they didn't look very physical and guys missed tackles and that was a blown coverage and what the heck was that? But I don't think it'll be 60 minutes of that. So, uh, you know, I, I would, I guess I'll say next man up, but I, I think there will be depleted moments. I really mm-hmm. do. Okay. 
We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. I do want to talk about the idea of what if they lose, not to set people up for it, to say they're going to lose, but because I'm just curious about it. Next on Buckeye Talk. Doug Nathan Steven from the 513. With the healthy dose of opt-outs and injuries, playing a team that runs a scheme that has caused Ohio State fits all year, if this prog- program were to lose to Utah, what kind of spiral would that cause? Would everybody be fine because they are, they've already started addressing issues with a move like Jim Knowles and this is just an exhibition? Or could we see even bigger changes in the kind of unrest among the fan base that hasn't been seen since before Urban? I ask because personally, I feel like a loss to Utah is very much a possibility. I think you have to be on the side of the a loss to Utah is very much a possibility. I mean, I, I think we, we have to be in agreement on that. It doesn't mean they're going to lose. It doesn't mean anyone's going to pick them to lose. But I don't know that there's anybody listening to this that's like, what? No, there's no chance they're going to lose. Utah's good, man. Like, Utah's good, and they don't have some of their dudes. But I did ask the texters a version of this question. If Ohio State doesn't win the Rose Bowl, how will you view it? These were the choices I gave. It's not a big deal. The game is more about getting young players some action. Like, like you almost wouldn't care. It would, you would, it would bounce right off of you. It's not the real them. Bowl games are different now. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Then there's the in-between. It's not great. It's not great. But with the opt-outs, this isn't their best team. It's really just a standalone game. So like in-between, like, yeah, you kind of be a little ticked, but it's not going to carry over to the new year. Then there's it's bad. Ending with the three-loss season is bad, and I'll be a little worried this offseason that, that, that it does matter. I will tell you, not surprisingly, the middle choice won. 47% said it's not great, but with the opt-outs, it's not their best team. It's really a standalone game. Steven, what do you think got a higher percentage of the vote? The it's bad or it's not a big deal? Because we are always curious how the, the far ends match up. I think it's not a big deal one now, but even if you knew that there were going to be some players who opted out, I think if we had asked people this like the Monday after the Michigan game, it's bad would have won resoundingly just because people were still kind of emotionally high. But now that you've had a chance to calm down and spend a month and you're maybe seeing the bigger picture, I think it's not a big deal one between those two. Nathan, what do you think? No big deal or it's bad? I think in people's heads, no big deal would win. In their hearts, it's bad would win. And I think right now they might still be voting with their hearts a little bit. So I'll go with it's bad. It's bad pretty resoundingly. 36% it's bad. 17% it's not a big deal. So again, overall, 47% to the middle answer. 36% it's bad. 17% it's not a big deal. I do think Jim Knowles like sort of removes a lot of it, right? That that again, that's that's the bigger deal here. But I think... I think people wonder, like, would there be an emotional hangover with the team and that kind of thing? And, like, I do think, for instance, in 2013, they had won the first 24 games of Urban Meyer's career in 2012 and 2013. They go get upset in the Big Ten championship game by Michigan State, and then they go lose the Orange Bowl to Clemson. So they end that year with two losses. And then the next year, they came back and won the national championship. So, like, they had been – I mean, at that point, Ohio State lost three of four games. They lost the last two in 13 and one of the first two in 14, and then they won a national – they ran off a national championship right after that. So, like, I just – but and again, like, the defensive coordinator is almost wiping the slate clean, and the fact that you're 
starting quarterback and your starting running back are both first-time starters who are both coming back next year to be even better. I just I just really don't think it's going to linger that much. And so I understand why people would vote it's bad just because it's so rare at Ohio State to have this kind of thing. But I I've, I really just don't think it matters that much if they lose Steven. It's really I can't I can't get too wound up about it, I don't think. It's it's because they can lose is why people are a little maybe a little wound up about it, but you almost approach this the way you approach when they play like mid-major schools where this who cares what the score is? How do guys look? How do you feel watching guys? Does it feel like things are progressing the right way, regardless of what the end result is because of X, Y, and Z and all these factors that go into it? But how does it, how do you feel watching these receivers now that Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are gone? How do you feel watching these linebackers? Does it seem like there's progression there? How does it feel? How do you feel watching Jordan Hancock or Jacqueline Johnson if they get, you know, meaningful snaps? That, how does it feel watching Jack Sawyer and JT Tui Malowal and Talik Williams, especially Talik Williams out of Haskell Garrett's not playing? He moves up a spot in the hierarchy there that's what's maybe more important is like how do things look more than the end result because i mean they didn't come here to they, nobody wanted to play for the rose bowl this year anyway so that's it's kind of on the back burner of the things that are important in this game people just need to have perspective i mean we we judge ohio state's success and failure as as much by the context of who they're playing as as the results so like when they lose to oregon who also didn't have Kayvon Thibodeau, that seemed like an especially bad loss because you think Ohio State is more talented than them already, and then they're missing the best player we thought might be the best player in the country at that time, certainly the best player they had, and they still won in Ohio State. So that's context for that. Well, now Utah is a pretty good team, and they're missing like nobody for this game, and Ohio State has had four like All-American level or sort of barely sub-All-American level players opt out, and they're going to be maybe missing four more defensive starters. So the talent has equated a big amount since the end of the season. And I think that has to, we have to keep that context as we look at the potential result of this game. So, and I do think we also need to keep this in mind. And this is from the 813. Am I wrong to think that Utah is a better team and will win the game? Set aside opt-outs and motivation. Even if the Buckeyes were playing at full strength, this was a playoff game. Based on what I have seen and the way they match up, I would still pick Utah to win. I think there's like a lot of truth in that. Again, that I don't think it's a great matchup for Ohio State. They have some capable guys at skill positions. They have some absolute standouts defensively. Absolute standouts. Not just Devin Lloyd, but Clark Phillips is a real dude. They've got multiple real guys on the defensive line. I do think Utah is one of the – both of these teams are two of the best eight teams in the country. Like Utah's ranked lower, but they're nine and one with Cam rising at quarterback. They reset after losing two of their first three. They changed quarterbacks. It gave them a reset. Ohio State reset in a lot of ways after losing to Oregon. These are these are two very good teams, and so there's a there's a lot to that that you have to take into consideration. Then, as you said, Nathan, you start taking out some of the Ohio State guys, and Utah hasn't lost some of those guys. There's enough football stuff, I think, to just worry Ohio State but then there's also the thing and again there's there's I'll tell you I picked Cincinnati to beat Alabama if you guys didn't go listen to the other thing I'm nuts I know I'm nuts I know it I know it I know it there's just matchup things there's just matchup things and I just like it's with the way I've analyzed it for a month and I just I just had to do what I thought 
And I can't help it that I think weird things. I don't try to do it, but I just do it. So I do think there's some comparison with like Cincinnati and Utah against Ohio State and Alabama. It's like, well, of course, Ohio State and Alabama have better players. And if that's the deal, then that's the deal. Like, of course, there's not a doubt about that. They have more good players, even with the opt-outs, right? Even with the injuries, Ohio State still has more good players. So if that's it, that's it. But when you get into the specifics of it, I do just think, Nathan, there's some football stuff here that is not great for the Buckeyes. And then you add in the absences and it gets tough. Well, I would also add in that I think Ohio State is still the more talented roster for whatever that is worth. And some of that isn't worth that much because we're talking about players who maybe are still younger and haven't made their impact yet. But I think there's something to be said for the fact that Ohio State had some issues and some weaknesses this season, and it never really fixed them. And Utah had some issues early on, and it fixed them in a big way and has been playing as well as anybody in the country. I mean, they've just been on a roll for now for a better part of three months without much of an interruption to that. So I think that's something that factors in here too. There is there is such a thing as momentum and teams that like sort of get locked in and find their stride and teams that are still sort of searching for some answers. And Ohio State, as much as it had these explosive offensive performances that maybe masks some things, is kind of gets to this point of the season into January. And again, regardless of the opt-outs, would still be looking for some answers in, in some important ways. Do you think there's enough football here, Stephen, or, or or do you really think it's it's not really a football analysis all that much when you're trying to pick this game? It's just more about trying to factor in Ohio State's definitely better, and you're just trying to figure out what the opt-outs and injuries are going to mean for this game, or is there a real football discussion? No. I mean, the football discussion is just simply can they, you know, not get blown off the line of scrimmage? On the, can you know can this defensive line play better in this game? Because that changes a lot of different stuff. If if you know uh, Utah's going to run the ball, but if they're not running the ball as successfully as Oregon and, and Michigan did, then it's not going to matter because uh, Ohio State can get enough stops. Then, but it's more about okay, we know there's a drop off from what Ohio State's best guys are who opted out to like the guys who are next up. How big is that drop off, and how much does that change the way this game is going to be played? Because if the drop-off is – if if the wide receivers are 75% of what Garrett and Chris are, then they're fine. That's clearly enough to win this game. If Talik Williams is 60% of what Haskell Garrett is along with the rest of that interior defensive line, then they're fine. It only becomes a problem if, like – it's it's almost the, the, the 2018 linebackers analogy is, are the guys in front of them so good that they keep keeping these guys off the field – or are the guys behind them just can't get on the field because they're not that good? And eventually we're going to find that out. And we found that out with the linebackers. But we're going to find that out with some of these positions on Saturday. Oh, it wasn't so much that Chris and Garrett are that awesome. It's just that they're just so much better than the other guys that there's no trust in them. I do think it's very possible that something happens like Utah doubles Jackson Smith and Jigba or hangs a safety over him like almost every snap and tries to like you can't shut him down, but limit him a little bit. And then the other guys, like, maybe drop a couple, right? Or it looks like, oh, did they? was there miscommunication on that route because CJ thought they were going to do that and they did this instead? I definitely think that's possible. That's not going to make me think that I'm worried about the passing game for 2022, though, right? That if, if a couple of these young receivers who have barely played drop a ball, run a route incorrectly or whatever. But I, I, I do think... I do think that the passing game could look, again, a little clunky at times, but CJ, 
I think also has will have the ability to sort of work his way through what's happening and figure it out. I think CJ Stroud and Ryan Day, they it might look a little weird early, and then I think the two of them together can have a chance to sort of figure out what is working and what isn't. What's there and what's not? What was real in ball practice? What wasn't? Well, we got to do more of this. Okay, we're going to run more screens. We're going to try to move Jackson here to get him freed up more, whatever. We're going to motion guys. And I, and I think they have a chance to find an answer. I, I do think it might be a little ugly early on, though. I think the silver lining with this is you'd rather that be happening now than when you play Notre Dame in nine months, who's like, good. You know, if 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 this is kind of like that, this version of the passing games preseason game, I guess like you can get a chance for these guys, and maybe maybe Julian Fleming drops a ball here, or maybe you know Marvin gets gets caught when he shouldn't be getting caught here. It should be a touchdown here, or Ryan Day has to adjust his passing game plan a little bit, and he can't be a lot of deep shots. He's got to just get the ball in these guys' hands and get him comfortable. I'd rather them be figuring that out now in a game at the end of the season that's kind of meaningless than like when you're trying to you know press the reset button and go try to win a national championship next year and Notre Dame can take advantage of that. I mean, I, I agree with that, and this probably will help a little bit, but they're also going to have an entire spring practice and an yeah. entire preseason. And what Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Booker are going to look like after getting all that run with the ones, after getting no run with – I mean, whatever amount of – whatever the practices were they got, this December, yes, bowl practice matters, but it's like 15% of the practice they're, they're going to have before they get ready for Notre Dame. So I just, uh, yes, yes, they'll have done it in a game in a big setting and that will help, but they're going to learn so much and they're going to get on, uh, uh, you know, over the summer, they're going to get on the same page with CJ in a, in a way that they just can't be right now that, um, again, let's, I think we're intrigued to see the young receivers. Let's not put too much on them if they don't look 100% ready right away. All right. We're going to take our last break. We're going to come back and make our picks for the Rose Bowl next on Buckeye Talk. All right. Doug Nathan and Steven back. I'm just double checking that the line hasn't moved anymore. I guess it moved. Did it move a little bit? It's down to four. I sent it to four and a half for the texters. It looks like it's down to four and I sent the over under the texters at 64 and it remains 64. We'll go with four as our betting line though. Ohio state favored by only four. Um, and that is not, that is not much. <laughs> so I'll go first because I'm conflicted and I've changed my mind a million times uh, on this pick. I will say that I arrived at 33 as my point total for Ohio State. And I like that point total because that's four field goals and three touchdowns. And that is some red go red zone issues where maybe some stuff stalls out, you know, because of you're you're missing some dudes and just, you know, that again, it's not this as it's not as high flying of a of an attack as it has been at times this year. I think Devin Lloyd, when he gets up, as an edge rusher with Mike Tafua, who is one of the best pass rushers in the Pac-12. Those are two real dudes. I think they are in the range of Hutchinson and Ojabo with, with their skill sets. And I think that Thayer Munford is has been a very good left tackle for Ohio State in his career. He hasn't played much left tackle uh, this season. And so I'm, you know, I'm thinking maybe the pass rush is going to have some effect. I do think that the Ohio State passing game will have some clunkiness to it early. I do think Trevor and Henderson can bail some stuff out. So I will say I arrived at the 33 for Ohio State, and then I had to decide whether 
I think that wins or not. And I have gone back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth on that. And I changed my mind today on my pick. And I am going to pick Ohio State to win. I really thought for the last week that I was going to pick Utah to win. I had been at 35-33, but I'm going to go with 33-31. And Ohio State finds a way to pull it out. And I will tell you that that is right on the number. And I don't be in like being right on the number for the over-under. The over-under is 64. That's 64. I'll take the over. Though if I had to bet it, I'll I'll take it as an over bet. I just didn't want to have to change my score off what I actually thought to affect that. So I'm gonna, but I'm also gonna take Utah with the points. So I'm taking Utah with the points over Ohio State to barely win. Steven, what you got? I went 37 to 27 Ohio State, but the context is like it's 30 to 27 with four minutes left in the game and Ohio state barely sneaks in to, you know, to, to get the point, get the points in that situation, which is also 64 total. Um, I would probably bet the, if I had to bet, I would bet the under though, just because Utah is good, but they're not like an explosive offense. I think it's more the, the, the 27 I'm giving them is more about Ohio state's defense than it is Utah's offense. While with, you know, with Ohio State, if I had to bet, like maybe they maybe they get less than thirty seven, just because they don't have Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. But thirty seven to twenty seven, where it's thirty to twenty seven with like five to four minutes left in the game, and C.J. Stroud just hits Jackson Smith and Jigbo, one of these receivers, open for a touchdown to make the game, make it a ten point game when it was really a three or four point game the entire afternoon. So we're both right on the sixty four. So when we do when we do the vote, like we that. have to we have to note that that I would bet the over, Stephen would bet the under, uh, because we have to add that to our horrible, 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 horrible picks this year and have our final, final record. Nathan, we'll leave it to you. You know, we're all in the same range, but we're all taking a slightly different wrinkle to this. I am taking Ohio State 37 to 31. So similarly to what Doug took, I guess that would be four touchdowns and three field goals. So just a a slight difference there. and to me, it comes down to, I think if you're looking at that line, that four-point line, I think the opt-outs and the injury news that came out this week have affected the money that's come in, uh, probably a lot of the public money that's come in, and now thinking that, that Utah seems like a good bet, and Utah is a good team. But I think that this talent, um, you know, Ohio State still has the edge at quarterback, I would say, an important one. Um, I think Ohio State still is pretty strong in important places. And the guys that are stepping up are not just backups. They are guys who could be among the best in the country, especially on offense, at their positions next year. And I think Ohio State will try to go into this game and be um, challenged by the way the Michigan game went to come back and do things like establish the run and play tougher in the trenches on the other side of the ball. So... 37-31, that would be a cover of the four and a half and would also be over the 64. Okay, so we are going to have Doug and Nathan going over, Stephen going under. We will have Stephen and Nathan giving the points. We'll call it officially four. You guys are given four. I'm taking Utah. With the four, because I have the Buckeyes winning by two. But we all are picking Ohio State to win. The tech subscribers, again, I sent it to them at four and a half because that's what it was when I sent it. 60% 
are taking Ohio State minus the four and a half. 40% are taking Utah, which again, for, I don't know if people know this, it's it's an Ohio State tech subscription and Ohio State podcast. That's 40% taking Utah with the points, I think is, is a pretty good number uh, of people for that. The over-under, we've got 58% going over 64 and 42% going under 64. Again, what else is new? A tough read. A tough read, man. Like a tough read. I just hope you're not. We have apologized all year. Um, I did a podcast with Tyler Shoemaker a couple weeks ago about what it was like trying to bet Ohio State this year. Tough read, man. Just like a hard to get a handle on it. And I, if you're betting, I hope it's for recreational purposes and to have a good time. Because, man, we have led you down the path to ruin uh, with what we've tried to pick this year. All right. I promised you one last little thing. Self-indulgent. I took time. I made us delay the podcast by 10 minutes because I was like, hey, I'm finishing something. This is what I was finishing. I was counting up how many podcasts we've done this year and how many minutes of podcasting we have done this year. And I did not count the little headline stuff that we did for a while that would drop in the feed. I did not count the Buckeye rants. I only counted real, true Actual podcasts. Nathan and Steven, I will have you guess. This is what number podcast this year for Buckeye Talk? Nathan, you can guess first. Wow. Uh, uh, 241. 241. Wait, no, no, no. That Nathan. wouldn't be right. 52 weeks. It's really low. No, no, no. Because there's 52 weeks and we do five a week. So that would be... Yeah, so I'm gonna, I'll say like 251. No, wait. How do I do math? So 52 weeks. <laughs> yeah, it's 52 times 5 52 would be 260. What I say 241? I'll stick yeah. with 241. All right. Steven, what do you say? Steven's doing math as well. Yeah. Nathan threw me off when he did good math. Um, I'll say 248. This is podcast number 263. So we went over the five podcasts per week average. Yeah, because yeah, that's no, because you got to take take in that we do post game pods. So we well, do six season. Well, that's our fifth. That's our, that's our yeah. fifth usually. But we, had, but we did a lot of emergency one. pods this year. Some emergency ones. Because you know, like the kid with the mother <laughs> from Texas kept doing stuff. There were, <laughs> there were a lot of emergencies. <laughs> so, you know, you got to do the emergencies. Uh, all right. How many minutes of podcasting did we do this year? This one's going to check in, if you want to factor it in, this one's going to check in around 50 minutes, I would guess. So if we include this one with the total, I will get what it would be. Uh, Steven, we'll let you start with this one. Um, total number of podcasting minutes on Buckeye Talk this year. I'm going to go 13,150 minutes. Okay, 13,150. Nathan, what I think about you? should be way higher than that. That's barely an hour per pod. I'm going to say uh, 19,500. That's a very good guess. That's a very good guess. Wow. 20,108. 20,108, if this is a 50-minute pod, which is going to be about right, that would be an average of? 83 minutes. 76 and a half minutes per pod. Mm. We go long, Buckeye Talk. So I don't know how that makes anybody feel. It makes me feel weird inside. 
That is so <laughs> much. It's about one team. It's about like there's a little bit of basketball in there. This is mostly about one college football team, 20,000 minutes of podcasting in a year. I'm not sure that makes sense. I'm not sure that makes fiscal sense for our company. I'm not sure it makes sense from a health perspective for us. I'm not sure it makes sense from an audience perspective. If you try to consume that much, what are we doing? So hey, remember when we decided to go to five podcasts per week and we were worried if we were going to be able to do it? I feel I don't I don't know I don't know what any of this means, but I feel like we need to have a meeting with our bosses because like this is insane. This none of this makes sense. And I'll do this last little bit of uh twenty thousand one hundred. Twenty thousand one hundred divided by forty. 14 days of podcasting. So there's 52 weeks in the year, two full weeks we spent podcasting. That's not processing. That's not researching. That's talking. We talked on this podcast for two weeks of a 52-week year. All right, we'll talk to the bosses. I can't believe you guys put up with us. I can't believe you guys listen as much as you do. Um we're we're being goofy about it like we only do it because we have fun doing it and because there's a lot of interesting things about Ohio State football and because you guys make us have an audience for it so we're grateful for that i hope that those numbers did not make you feel weird inside the way they made me feel weird inside but we'll see what happens in 2022 cuz the reason i did that is because this was we started going we went to 5 days a week in the pandemic in 2020, but this was the first full year where we did five a week for an entire year. So I thought to myself, what does that look like? And that's what it looks like. All right. Nathan will be there in Pasadena covering the game. Steven and I will be watching, observing, taking notes from home. Enjoy the semifinals this afternoon. We'll be back with the post-game podcast on Saturday for now. Happy New Year. And thanks as always for listening to this Buckeye Talk and every other Buckeye Talk you listen to throughout the year. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.